It's time for a legendary introduction. Welcome to Unpacking the Box. I really think nobody does it better. Join the conversation as we cover everything from life and relationships. All a woman wants is a choice. Inspiring interviews. That just hit me. Wow. And everything in between. Just keeping it real. We keeping it all the way real. Whoa. Now let's start unpacking. This is Linnea, your host, and welcome back to Unpacking the Box podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please? The show starts in 10, 9, Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, go. Tonight I'm here with Y Renee, who is a trauma recovery coach, author, speaker. Hello, Queen. How are you? I'm beautiful. I'm fine, Queen. How are you? Gonna say beautiful, but you know, hey, we are both beautiful. How about that? Listen, hey, you, you're right. You are right. We are. I'm so happy to have you. I'm so excited to be here. I appreciate you. Yes, I'm excited to talk to you. I am. I've been looking forward to this. I'm like, yes, I'm so glad that we crossed paths. I mean, I've been just meeting some amazing people lately, and I'm just so thankful for it. Yes, it is true. I mean, I think I tell people, I've been telling people as of lately, um, I was kind of leery of Clubhouse at first, but I think it's been a wonderful um, addition to social media. And um, you meet so many people that you probably just would not meet on Facebook or be able to connect with them on IG the way we are connecting through Clubhouse. So it's amazing. Yes, I agree. It's just like, man, I, I, just, I just I meet so many people every day. I love it. That's like the best invention, I think, especially for people that want to network for sure. Most definitely. <laughs> Where are you from? I am from the Chicagoland area. Oh, Chicago. Okay. <laughs> Love it. So and and how how did you how do you like it there? Like have you you've been loving it? Like do you do you ever want to like leave or travel? You, you know what? I think everybody at some point in time. Um, wherever they're born and raised from, they want to relocate and try something different because <laughs> I've been here. I've been here ma- majority of my life. I went away to school for a little while, but um, I am Chicago born and bred, um, raised in the South a little bit, you know, from summers of being with family and things like that. Um, I truly believe I'm a Southern girl at heart. Um, would I eventually love to move? Yes, I would. Um, just a couple things that may um, kind of keep me from that right now. I take care of my father who mm-hmm. is adamant about not moving anywhere. So until <laughs> the good Lord says it's time for him to go on home, I know I'll be here at least for the duration of that. Um, what happens after that? You know, I'll leave it in God's hands. Yeah, I, I know that's right. Okay. So before we get into your story, I just have to share with you when we first crossed paths and you told me, you know, what happened to you, I, you know, I I always dig into my guests a little bit more, especially if I, I don't know them and I'm not familiar with them. I like to learn more about them. Um, so I, you know, I, I saw all the amazing things that you're doing and, you know, the people that you're helping, but I also watched the video about your story and the things that happened to you. And I got to say my job was talking wide. my bed. <laughs> yes. 
You were stalking my pages. That's yes. Amazing. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yes. <laughs> Yes, I love to learn about my guests. I'm like, I got to learn, you know, some more about her. So I heard about your story. My jaw was just open, like, because I just, I'm just like, wow. Like, first of all, you never know what people go through. And then second of all, the fact that you're still here is just, it's, it's nothing but God. Yes, most definitely. So, you know, if you're comfortable, I would love for you to share uh, the trauma that you have endured and, you know, to tell us about your story and what happened to you. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. I do like to tell people, or I've, I've learned to tell people that some things I say may cause triggers. So mm-hmm. just be aware. Um, but I am, I've considered myself, a, since I've been through coaching, I consider myself a trauma recovery coach. So that's one reason um, why I do what I do. And that's because of what I've been through. Um, I'm a 15 year domestic abuse survivor, four time suicide attempt survivor. And I was um, gunned down in front of my home. It'll be 13 years this upcoming December where I was shot four times in my lower back. Um, from that, I mean, like like you said, um, I survived. That's a great thing. Um, the testimony of me being shot is uh, one was an in and out, one was a graze. Two ricocheted off of every organ in my body except for my heart. Um, one put the size of a quarter in my 12th vertebrae and nicked my spinal cord, which rendered me paralyzed. I was in surgery for four and a half hours, um, paralyzed for two and a half days, up walking by the fifth day, and they kicked me out of the hospital on the eighth day. Um, I, Of course, anybody listening to this story will be like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, and why does she sound the way she sound? And I just had to come to a realization, don't get me wrong, I've had dark days, I've had days where I didn't want to get up, I've had days where um, nothing seemed to go right, or I just felt like the Lord had left me and all that other good stuff. But when I finally really, really came to myself, I had to realize um, the biggest picture is this. If I um, try to take my life four times and um, two times was in my adolescence and two times was during my marriage and um, my adolescence, I will say that um, I didn't really know what I was doing, meaning that, um, you know, I will say this, when I came up, I didn't have any, nearly any of the problems that the children of today have as far as like cyberbullying and the pressures of social media and, you know, um, gun violence is at an all time high. I think considering, you know, from where I came up, um, cause we used to duke it out as opposed to just raising guns and shooting people. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that when I think back on my adolescence, I, even though my, I thought my situation at the time was serious to me. Um, it doesn't even hold a candle to some of the stuff that some of these kids go to nowadays or ones that come across my path anyway. In my marriage, though, um, the enemy tried to trick me to make me think that um, I would be better off gone because at the time, um, my ex-husband had began threatening my family. Like, well, when I started, like, trying to fight back or stand up for myself it got to the point where he's like well you're not scared of me anymore I'll start doing something to your family and friends and you know being a narcissist and beginning to believe that he was kind of crazy I began to believe that so my thought process when it came to that was that if I kill myself um it wasn't even a thought about if anybody would miss me if I was concerned about me if anybody loved me that wasn't my thought my thought was if I killed myself then I would be free of him and my people would be safe because if I was gone, there would be no reason for him to bother them because I was the the factor. I was the you know the mm-hmm. um, the the common denominator. 
So, but after all of that is said and done, what I began to realize after going through that, and then after almost losing my life to being shot where somebody tried to actually come and kill me, my thought process has been, you know, it's got to be something that's meant for me to do if I tried four times and I failed. And then somebody else came and shot me four times and they failed. Um, there's got to be something that is meant for me to do right here. There's purpose in it. So there's no sense of me really um, sitting around trying to waddle in self-pity because if it was really meant to take me out, um, the bottom line is I'd be gone or I will still have some remnants of being shot. Um, to look at me, and I since you've been stalking my page, <laughs> you've probably seen pictures of me. Yes. <laughs> you, you've, seen, you've seen pictures of me standing up. You've seen pictures of me in videos. You've seen pictures of me standing, talking, walking, doing all those things. So I can ask you, Linnea, if you were just to run across my page just in haphazardly, you know, not even just really thinking about anything, but just looking at different things I was doing, if you didn't hear me say that I was a gunshot victim, would I look, do I look like a gunshot victim to you? No, I was actually very shocked when you said that. When when you said it, you know, I was like, okay, wow. But when I heard you say on the video that you were shot four times, mm -hmm. like that was like, I was just like, wow. Like you, you probably by all accounts shouldn't be here, but you are here. But no, looking across your page, I think the average person would not think that you have been through all the stuff that you've been through. Because, exactly. you know, you imagine, you think about that, you think, well, the just a thing, just a thought of like, someone getting shot you just think of the things that it does to the the, the organs and the body and, and and four times you know it's like wow like yes you are walking around you are I mean even you talking like it doesn't you don't like you don't come off as a person that's been through that type of trauma you know and I laugh because my when it first happened you know now my sister who found me in the grass after um she came out the house after I was yelling for my life we of course you know it's, it's dark humor, but it's still humor all the same. We talk about the night in instances when we, um, we kind of, when we're triggered by it, we kind of talk about it to kind of walk ourselves through the trigger. So we'll find comedic events that happened that night. Cause I promise you, um, nine times out of 10 with, any, with, with, with the exception of somebody just actually dying from something, somebody gets shot or somebody, if you're in, in a certain situation, if you look for something positive, if you look for something um, kind of quirky, you'll find it. But there were so many comedic events <laughs> that happened the night I got shot. That's what helps get us through. So my sister calls me quarter cent as mm -hmm. opposed to 50 cent because we all know 50 cent got shot multiple times too. And he's still here to tell the story. Um, when she was in the hospital and somebody and I was in surgery, the police said, well, you know, you should not worry because she's, you know, she was alert before they put in surgery. And her thing was, hey, Tupac came in and he didn't come back out the sixth time he got shot. So I'm not trying to hear that. Um, let's see. Um, I was laying in the grass. I said, um, my sister came out and found me and she told her son, uh, at the time, my nephews were like, I want to say uh, 12, 11, and maybe like seven. Mm -hmm. So the 11 year old comes out behind his mom and he goes, and she goes, John, go in the house, get the phone, and call 911. He said, Okay, mom, what's the number? And the little one goes, Who doesn't know the number? So, of mm -hmm. course, we laugh about that. Um, but it's like, it's amazing what God has done. Um, I don't take it lightly. Um, I only like tell, I tell the 
the jovial part about it because sometimes when you get in these spaces and I'm telling my story, I can't let it be dark and dim, dim, dismal all the time because if it is, then everybody look at me as another person who's just telling my story and I want pity or um, again, I may trigger somebody and just leave them there and they leave there feeling probably worse than they did when they came in. So mm-hmm. it's my job to come in and yes, explain to you what I've been through, tell you what the traumatic events was, but at the same time, show you that because of God, I am here. And because of him, I still have joy and reason for living. And because of me going through what I went through and having all the stuff happen to me, me understanding and defining my purpose in life, my purpose is to help people understand that no matter what you've gone through, if you still can take a deep breath and you open your eyes, I don't care if it's from sleeping all night, I don't care if it's taking a cat nap, I don't care if you work the night shift, if you sleep during the day, it doesn't matter. If you wake up during the day, there's something that needs to be done. What you decide to do with your time though, is up to you. You can continue to work um, you know, for somebody else and just live, or you can work for somebody else and still enjoy life and travel, do your hobbies, whatever have you, or you can take what you got and try to make make moves and work for yourself so you don't have to work for the man anymore, whatever the case may be. But whatever it is, you need to figure out what it is and do it. Um, Time waits for no man. And we know that. And it seems like the older you get, the shorter your days get because the years go by a lot quicker than they was when you were a kid. So (laughs) Mm -hmm. I take those, I take those attributes and I look at that and, um, and those are the, that's my motto and what I I go by. So it's, it's my job to assist people get past a place called stuck, but in the midst of getting them past a place called stuck, anybody who comes into my presence is just, uh, I believe my, my mission, my destiny, my purpose for me to shine my light a little brighter make somebody smile. Mm-hmm. And that's inspiring. I mean, that's inspiring because your story, I think it teaches so many different things. You know, it teaches us that life is short, uh, that we definitely have to live it to the fullest. Um, you know, it teaches us about maybe, you know, us entering or looking at the signs and entering those kind of relationships that go down that domestic violence route. I mean, it's so many different teachings that your story, you know, teaches us. So, and what you're doing is amazing. So I know you said you, that you, you know, you laugh about certain things to keep from, you know, being triggered and, and, and to keep from going back to that dark place. But what are like some other things that you do to maintain this healing space? Because I could I, I can only imagine that you have to do some type of maintenance to keep yourself, you know, in a certain space. Well, I do do self-care. Um, you know, I try to go get my spa days. I do massages. I do the female girly things that we like to do. We like to pamper mm-hmm. ourselves. Um, I journal a lot. Um, I make sure that I have open conversation with people who um, have walked out part of this journey with me so that if I ever get to the point where I feel like myself, I'm getting stuck, I don't hesitate to reach out to someone. Um, I travel. Um, Travel has been really big for me in the last three or four years, except with the pain, even in the pandemic. um, Mm -hmm. I still went somewhere last year Uh, because again, life is too short. And even though, you know, COVID is very, very serious. I believe we all take precautions and we do what the CDC says and we social distance and we take our vitamins and we do the things that we need to do. We can still live through this and make stuff happen. So Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to allow um, 
that to hold me back from just living my life. Um, for me also, um, it's very difficult for me. It was, it's better, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I think God has a way of making us deal with things too. Um, especially for me, because if I'm going to, for lack of better words, preach this thing, I got to walk it out. So when people see me walking out, they know that it's real, that it's not, I'm not saying something. I'm not just talking textbook. It's something that I've experienced myself. And I'm still, if, if not, if I haven't walked it out, I'm still walking through it. And in the process of me walking through it, I'm still good. So um, my mother passed away four years ago. Mm-hmm. And with my mother passing away, she gave me the awesome responsibility of taking care of my father, who can be a headache. I love him dearly, but he's 87. And, you know, the older they get, the more honorary they get. And, <laughs> and he's mm-hmm. a powerful character. I see where I get my sarcasm and my wit from dealing with him. <laughs> and um, I'm honored to take care of my parents. You know, I got to take care of my mom before she passed away as well. So I'm honored to take to have the responsibility of caring for my parents. However, um, taking care of my father, he was very adamant about moving. Well, both of them were before um, I actually um, shot in front of the house that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. So um, when I tell my story, I have to also give the disclaimer and let people know that um, I was thrown out of my house two months and two days before I got shot by my ex-husband, but my ex-husband was not the person who shot me. I did see my assailant. Do I believe that my ex-husband had something to do with it? Of course, in the pit of my soul, of course I do. It was not proven. So, um, you know, that's that's my take on it. That's my truth. That's my reality. Um, until the police do something else or somebody finds something else, that's just how we have to roll. But having to come back to this house, when I realized I had to come back to the house, it was very difficult for me because when um, I finally was able to leave, because um, I had to do my healing here too. Um, of course, because I didn't have anywhere to go in the midst of a divorce. Um, mm-hmm. not definitely not going back to my ex-husband. Um, after being shot, I had to come here to recuperate. And once I was able to actually leave, I mean, I left with the quickness. And it became difficult for me to come back and visit. But because they're my parents, of course I did. You know, so I would do my weekly visits. They would be probably no longer than an hour, maybe two at the most. And um there were some weeks I would even say, you know, I'm not even coming back because if I felt some kind of way, you know, I just wouldn't. And my mom, she got it, but she didn't get it. You know, I think older people feel like, well, especially older people who believe in God and have faith. Well, baby, you came through it. God brought you through it. You shouldn't worry about it. But they don't understand how some traumas affect certain people. So I don't think my mom really, she was just glad her baby was still here mm-hmm. and didn't really focus on the fact that I was traumatized. So but when my, my father passed, I mean, my mom, excuse me, God forbid, when my mother passed away and I take care of my dad, I didn't move back in right away. But when his, some things started changing in his health and it became clear to me that I would have to be closer to him and it would make more sense for me to come back into the house. That's something I deal with daily now. Mm-hmm. Um, there are days where I'm okay, where I could walk in and out the door with no problem then there are some nights or evenings or even sometimes where I have to drive around the block two or three times or I have to sit in my car for a few extra minutes or I got to run from my car to get to the house because something's triggering me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I deal with stuff as best I possibly can. But again, I do the same thing. I would tell anybody to do it. Everybody has different traumas and it's not the trauma that the actual event that holds you down is what triggers you from the event. 
because trauma never really goes away. When you think about it, um, if you ever lost a loved one who's close to you, um, an anniversary date, a certain smell, uh, their birthday, something that a picture of them, uh, a, a funny saying that they said, a movie that you watched, a certain song, it could trigger you to feel some kind of way emotionally. Um, it could be detrimental. You could be, you could be extremely sad. You can crack, put you in depression. So when you have those moments, it's what you do in those moments. So, cause you can't stay stuck. They're not coming back, unfortunately. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So what are you going to, you're not going to live your life because they're not here. So I teach people breathing exercises, um, different things to write down. Like I said, journaling helped me a lot. I think it helps a lot of people because if you can't talk to somebody, what better way to get it out is to write it down and you can mm -hmm. read it yourself later or you can destroy it later. It all depends on you, but I think getting it out, however you get out, or even if you record your voice on, on your phone or on a recorder, um, adult coloring books are awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, reading, spa treatment, getting your hands to your feet does. So anything that like would bring you back. So what I do is I, every, of course, every client or every person that I coach is going to be different. And every, some people don't necessarily want coaching. They want mentorship. So there's the difference between the two. So I just have to evaluate whatever have you. But for me again, Linnea, um, every mm -hmm. day is different. Yeah. I'm just, I'm very, um, intentional is what I say about when I find out I'm being triggered about by something, you know, mm -hmm. about what I do and how um, I don't retreat. Um, or if I do retreat, I have to make sure I can't let myself stay down for longer than 24 hours. If I let myself stay down for longer than 24 hours, then it's going to be a problem. So in those moments when you feel triggered and you know, when that, when weakness starts to like kind of poke at you, like how do you pull yourself out or do you allow yourself to like go through that? And then, you know, then start to pull yourself out. Um, I'm nervous being in the house because I had to move back in the house, take care of my father in the house that I was, uh, that I was a cop um, shot in front of basically. So no noises, unexpected noises, they kind of, they set me off because I'm always wondering if somebody, part of my subconscious, not always, but part of my subconscious every now and again will think, well, man, uh, will he, will he send somebody to do it again? Will somebody else kill me again? And this time, how would they come? So I'm kind of on edge and jumpy a lot of times. So uh, my niece came to the door today and I always tell people before you just pop up, because even a doorbell may startle me, but um, just before you pop up, just call me and let me know that you're outside, that you're coming, that you're two minutes away or whatever. Just one out of courtesy, but two, because I know what triggers me. And of course, <laughs> her phone died because she <laughs> did not charge it last night. So when she gets to the house, she just comes and she knocks on the window because she doesn't want to ring the doorbell, of course, because she thinks she might wake, wake up my dad. So of course, I had a whole like meltdown moment where I had to sit there like, catch myself, do some breathing exercises and things like that. So for me, mm -hmm. um, situations like that, that are unexpected triggers, um, I just have to kind of walk through them. I have to figure it out and just um, make it happen. If not, you know, I may shut down. Like in the old days after that would have happened, one, I might have not opened the door for her. She just been sitting outside and then calling <laughs> the lady talking about, I knew you was at home while you answered the door. Well, that'll <laughs> teach you not to come back. Um, but nowadays, I pretty much, like I said, I can snap back from that because it's been a while. 
Um, mm-hmm. The things that kind of trigger me most is, like I said, pulling in the driveway of my home sometimes um, may trigger me because the way my house is made, there are two entrances. And where I got shot at is like almost might as well say, I can't avoid either entrance. It's not like I have an alley I can go through or a rear door I can go through. So I, either way I go, I have to look at or walk past the actual area where I laid in the grass. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn how to deal with that because I could have avoided it if I had a back door or alley because I could just pull in the alley, come through the back door and never have to see it, you know? But because I have to see it every day. So those days that I feel anxiety rising, um, I do breathe exercises. Um, mm-hmm. I may sit in my car a little bit longer, or if it's extreme, I may get out of my car a little faster. Just depends on the day. Um, there are times where instead of me coming um, straight home, if I feel some kind of way coming down the block, I may drive around the block a few times. Or if I was coming home right away, um, I might detour and stop at a store or something just to kind of calm myself down, even though I may not need nothing from a store. I may just go inside the store, look around, come back out. Um, I may, even though my gas may be full, I may go to a gas station, buy some gas, just so I get my anxiety down. So there's different things that I do to um, to deal with my triggers. Everybody's different. So mm-hmm. what works for me may not work for somebody else, but part of my job or what I feel like I've been um, destined to do is to help you find what helps you through your triggers, if you have triggers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Oftentimes, you know, those of us who are who are on the outside looking into like these situations um, where people are in um, domestic violence and, you know, caught in this domestic abuse um, within their relationship. So and, and most of those people looking on the outside, they say things like, you know, well, why don't you just leave? Just leave. Um, so, and I know you mentioned that you, you know, you endured domestic abuse and violence, you know, for 15 years. So I would ask you, like, what, what kept you there? Well, um, one of the biggest things I like to say is this one, like I said, I'm a woman of faith. So when I got married, of course, we never marry to divorce. And even though I may have seen some signs before I got married, you know, um, being a praying woman and things like that, I always thought, and you know, women are kind of nurturing. We think that people will change. Not that we, well, I didn't feel necessarily I could change him, but I Mm -hmm. felt that God would change him for me once I went into covenant because let's just be I'm be real transparent of course I wasn't um practicing abstinence before we got married so I figured or I was not my thought process was once I got married because now I'm going to be quote unquote right you know God would honor my covenant God would honor the marriage and he would start working on my ex-husband well people also have to want to change and um for the most part I can just attest I'm not him so I can't really speak for him but I can say that he didn't necessarily want to change and or at least that's what I perceive so I also tell people a lot of times too you know when you're with a perpetrator or an abuser however you want to label him or her Mm -hmm. um, they don't show you their their true colors in the beginning if they did unless you're just somebody who was raised in an abusive household and that's what you think that's what love looks like for you because that's not what love looked like for me Mm -hmm. um then we would run in the other direction we wouldn't pay attention to it so I you know when I'm speaking a lot of times I make the joke of you know hey again you know um if I see you walking if I'm walking down the street and I see somebody jumping on somebody else it's not like I'm going to stop them from beating on that person and tell them hey come get in a relationship 
for me because I think you can kick my butt a whole lot better than you kick their butt. It's not, that's not feasible. It doesn't make any sense. So for me, um, one of the reasons why I stayed, because I loved him. There's just That's one, one major reason. And I wanted him to change. I wanted him to be better. I didn't marry him because he was abusive. I married him because he was charming, charismatic. Um, give you the shirt off his back. He was a good friend before we actually got into a relationship. He just was bad. He was a bad husband. He was a bad boyfriend. Um, but that's part of the part. That's part of the reason why most narcissistic people um, or abusers they're attractive because they're not just that way right off the bat. Mm-hmm. So um, I say again for marriage reasons. Um, fear came a part of it too because after a while, when he felt like I wasn't after some years, and he felt like he wasn't really, I guess for lack of better words, doing damage to my mental anymore. And I was at the point where I was really tired and I was going to leave, he started threatening my family as well. So another reason why I started staying towards the end, or at least until I tried to make a plan of escape was because I feared that he might actually try to do something to my family. And my family is my end all to be all, especially my mom and my dad. And I, I couldn't live with thinking that something may happen to them because of a decision that I made. They didn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. And so... Those are, those are the, a few of the reasons. Mostly, I mean, fear played a part. Yes, love definitely played a part. Um, and again, fear of him doing something to people that I loved and cared about would be like my top three reasons. Mm-hmm. And that's my thinking too. Like when I hear people say that, like, you know, I feel like telling somebody that they should leave that type of situation is like easier said than done for that person. I think, and, and I do agree with you. I think fear plays a huge role in that people, you know, are scared. You know, because a lot of times well, I tell people, so, yeah, go ahead. I, I tell people a lot of times until you walk, not even no, until you put my shoes on, don't dare tell me what you think you what you think I should do, how you wouldn't do it if you was you. Um, you don't understand why, whatever have you. There's so many different reasons when people are in these type of situations while they stay. Like mm-hmm. I said, unless you're just because abuse is a learned behavior. So unless you're just someone who was raising abusive household and that's what love looked like to you and you don't know any better then I can't really see the average person generally just wanting to be in an abusive relationship there are so many reasons that people stay there you know it could be financial it could be because they have kids it because they love them it because um they don't have anywhere else to go you know uh, they don't feel like they have the support system to be out on their own they're afraid the person's going to continue to follow them after the fact you know it's so many different different reasons so when people come to me and say they couldn't understand why I stayed or you know if it was me they wouldn't have did that I tell people all the time never say never because it'll bite you in the butt later mm-hmm. yeah that's true like because we you know we some of us just don't know what it's like we don't we've never worn those shoes so we can't really say what we would have done or not done so I agree with that yeah. Now, I know that you you mentioned before that you, you know, how you help people, um, you know, who, who have been through trauma as a trauma recovery coach. Um, just for people that are listening that may want to reach out to you to get some help, like what specific services do you offer? One on one coaching okay, um, or one on one coaching or or and or mentorship because they are two different things. Um, group coaching. So that means that if um, people are willing to be in a group. Um, if it's easier for you to do that way, I'll try to get more people so we can do it together. Um, cause sometimes knowing that someone is kind of dealing with not necessarily the same thing that you're dealing with, but they're also having 
you know, issues with triggers, sometimes it, it makes it a little bit more relaxing, more willing to talk. Um, I do offer a six week um, masterclass. Generally, I don't take any more than eight people in the class because I want to be able to still give you that attention while you're still in class with other people to learn. And also I open myself up during those six weeks um, that as long as you are my calendar, you know, I'm a bit, I'll, I'll make myself available basically. And um, that means you get my personal cell phone number afterwards or, and so anytime after class, like class is generally held on Tuesdays. So after any time from Tuesday to Tuesday, if you need me, you can call um, or we could Zoom or we could talk, or if you feel like you didn't understand something in the class, I'll be happy to break it down and go over it with you, things like that. So um, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. Okay, that's that's super helpful. Uh, yeah, I like that. Cause I think I think a lot of people will be interested because there's some people that are dealing with things silently, you know. So yes. And again, that- like um, and I think I mentioned before when we were talking about it, um, there are some things that clinical people who go to school, they can help you with the book part of it. But sometimes mm-hmm. you just don't resonate or connect with clinical people because that's their job. And I'm not saying I'm not trying to make this my job too, but the fact being that I've been somewhere where you are in some shape, form or fashion. Um, I think that people, some people relate to me better than they do going to a professional again. I'm all for professional help. I'm all for therapy. It's just that sometimes some things that, you know, people just feel more comfortable talking to somebody that may look like them, act like them on a day-to-day basis and don't have a, a definite title behind their name. And sometimes I, and me personally, I had to find, I went through three therapists before I found the one that actually, um, that I could kind of vibe with. Because sometimes we go to these therapists and because they are so rigid, book um, from from cover to cover, things like that. Um, and they may not understand necessarily how you feel or what you're dealing with at a time because they don't, you know, they don't connect on that level. They'll make you feel some kind of way. And, and I think that's why sometimes people will turn away from therapy or say that therapy doesn't work for them because they have a bad experience. And I will tell people all the time, one, one bad apple doesn't spoil a bunch. You just have to take that apple out and just find another apple. So um, anytime somebody comes through my coaching program, though, if I feel after talking with them that they still need professional help, I definitely um, suggest it. Of course, people do what they want to do, but I definitely suggest it and um, try to connect them with the right people that I feel that would help them uh, be able to get past a certain place mentally when it comes to professional, the professional part of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, as a, a trauma recovery coach, is it, or do you kind of, do you specialize in specific traumas, like kind of sort of what happened to you in domestic violence kind of area, or do you kind of deal with everyone that has experienced some t- type of um, trauma, any level of trauma? It would be any level of trauma. Of course, you know, I, I deal, I could deal, prob- I could empathize mm-hmm. more so with people who've been through something that I've been through. But trauma is just that it's trauma. And mm-hmm. I think that, and I've used, and I'll give an example. I had a master class, a six weeks master class. I have a six week master class and I just finished it about two weeks ago. And I had six students and everybody who came in came in with something different. But the same, I'm teaching the same thing for them to be able to recover and reset so they'll have a better understanding. They can apply the same principles and the same techniques to their trauma. 
I had um, one person and I, 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 she doesn't mind me using it. I love to use it because her father passed away some years ago and mm-hmm. she's never been able to go to the cemetery to visit his grave. And I asked her why not. And she said she felt responsible for him dying. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, she had to actually give the release because he was on life support. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. I said, well, first of all, let's deal with that. I was like, you know, you have to, and I can't tell you when and how to do it, but look at, listen to me and hear me clearly. I said, you've probably never said this out loud before. She says, no, really, I don't talk about it. And I said, okay. I said, but if your father, this is some 13 years ago. So yeah, I said, so if you wouldn't pull the plug and your father was still on life support to this day, who, who, who him being here is benefiting who? It's not benefiting you because you can't talk to him. It's not benefiting himself because he's really not there. Because if he's on life support like that, he has no, you know, no brain functions. He's really, he's just a shell. Mm-hmm. I was like, and even though you could touch him, you can feel on him. I said, are you really getting what you would want in a relationship? Because he can't hug and kiss you back. You know, you, he's really not responsive. So she was like, I, I get it. She's like, it's difficult. And I said, I don't have any, I, I'm not judging you. I just want you to, you know, hear what somebody on the outside looking in understands. So she's like, I get what you're saying. I said, so you pulled the plug to basically, um, so he can transition smoothly and gently without any issues. She was like, yeah. I said, okay. I said, you haven't been to some series since you've been. She's like, no, I just can't bring myself to go back there. I don't even know if they put the headstone up right because nobody else goes by there either. Mm-hmm. I can't be with that and the other. And I said, okay, well, let's just do this. I said, it's called baby steps. I said, first thing is you're talking about it, which is a wonderful thing because you have to admit and acknowledge the trauma before we can even deal with it. So now that you've mentioned it, let's really deal with it. I was like, nobody said you have to. I said, well, in the 13, 10, 13 years he's been gone, you, she's like, I don't even drive by the cemetery. I said, okay, baby step. Drive by the cemetery. She said, huh? I said, drive by the cemetery. I was like, see what happens when you just drive by. See if it triggers you. I said, if it triggers you, then get away from it. I said, and then when you feel a little bit better another day, drive by it again. I said, mm-hmm. and keep driving by it until you feel comfortable enough to one day turn in. Now, when you turn in, I'm not saying definitely go over to the, the spot where he's resting because that may be too much, but drive in and then make a U-turn and come back out. Drive mm-hmm. in and drive around until you feel comfortable doing whatever have you. I said, and since you've been, since you haven't done it in 10 years or 13 years, nobody's saying you have to do it overnight. I said, so if it takes you another 10 years to do it, then that's fine. It took you 10 years to do it. I said, but the fact being is you're gaining back your power. You're gaining back your strength because now you're trying to deal with it. Mm-hmm. because every year she's triggered by Father's Day because she wants to go, but she can't bring herself to go. So by the time we got through with the class and we went over some exercises, her and you know the other people in the class too, we went over exercises. Everybody who had an issue with a particular tra- traumatic incident and their triggers all were committed to beginning to work on the things to, that triggers them so they can get past that place of being stuck. So her... Her thing is, she's honestly, she calls me every week. She says, I'm going to go by there on Father's Day. She mm-hmm. called me, told me she drove by. I said, how did it feel? She's like, I didn't really feel anything. I was like, why? She's like, because I didn't really necessarily, I knew it was there, but I didn't really pay attention because I was paying, I was focused on the street and the area that I was in. I said, okay. I said, so your next step would be to actually go inside because then you'll actually have to, for lack of better words, deal with the cemetery. 
Mm-hmm. Her her commission is to by Father's Day be able to go in there and and sweep off and find out, make sure everything's okay, which makes me feel good. So uh, yeah, so back to your question, that was a long version of it. Um, it's okay, but no, I, it's good. I love that you broke that down because that pertains to so many things, like especially when people have fear, when people have anxiety, when people have trauma, just so many things. Because that's and I was just having a conversation with the, with someone about this. That is the thing that that thing that you're afraid of, that thing that is traumatic, that thing that gives you anxiety. That's the thing you have to do, you know, ultimately to you know diminish that feeling it'll paralyze you because people don't realize sometimes if you don't if you're not willing to deal with certain traumas and certain things that you're going through believe it or not but it will affect relationships Mm -hmm. um i can say after after i wrote um my first book it triggered some things inside of me i didn't realize it triggered and i thought i was healed from some things that i really wasn't healed with healed from excuse me and I began to, for lack of better words, act out. And it wasn't acting out in a positive way. I was kind of, I was, I was a lot more negative. Um, I was kind of withdrawn from certain people, not everybody, but certain people I was withdrawn from. Um, my attitude got a little nasty. Mm-hmm. And um, people didn't necessarily want to call me to the table on it, but when they finally called it, called me to the table on it, I lost a relationship. Um, thank God he restored it. Uh, it was me and my significant other. He couldn't take the negativity and he was telling everybody he couldn't take it, but didn't know how to tell me. And we drifted apart and, um, so things transpired and we ended up separating. And, but I thank God, um, that we were, it, it, we took some time apart from each other. Mm -hmm. Um, and he learned some things about himself during that time. I definitely learned some things about myself. And that's where my second book came about. Um, it's a self, it's a book about learning how to love self again. And um now we're back together. And I think that the separation, as bad as it was, or that I didn't want it to happen, because it took us off of and again, everything happens in God's time. And so my time may not have been God's time, but I thought that we were on track to doing some great things together as a couple and um that time apart like i said it made us better but i think it it expanded the timeline i still believe things are going to happen but it just it it extended the timeline and so Mm -hmm. i just tell people all the time you know when you're triggered by certain things if you don't want to talk about it um or if you don't deal with it you know it could cause more damage outwardly as well as inwardly another reason why is because if you think about it when we talk about traumas and I learned this when I came out of my situation, um, when I came out, I went through an agency, of course, a domestic violence agency to get some resources and some therapy. But after being shot, I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. And so my primary care physician, she recommended me going to a psychotherapist and a psychiatrist. So, um, for those people who are of color, I'm going to tell you that mental health is real and professional help if it's needed take it that whole we too strong with people we don't need it what happens in my house stays in my house that stuff is should go by way of the dodo bird because i promise you my psychotherapist opened my eyes to a lot of things and helped me through a lot of things so because i don't have a degree in that stuff and i don't have a phd behind my name in that aspect what i do is i have a phd in hard knocks i have a phd and getting my tail whooped for 15 years 
and being depressed so much and being um, in bondage mentally, physically, emotionally, financially, spiritually for 15 years that I, I have like degrees in that. And what I will say is even though professional help is needed, my when my um when my professional came to me and he finally said something to me, he said, I pretty much take you as far as I could take you. Like I want you to come back as much as you possibly can whenever you need me. He said, but the one thing that I can't do is he's like, I could sit up here all day and read you and understand tech textbook technology. I could learn everything through that the textbook says from them doing tests and theories and and situationships and all this other stuff to gather data to put in these books so people can understand and give cl clinical terminology to what we may have or what we may be going through. But what he said was because it was two things or three things. He wasn't a female, he wasn't a, a woman of color and he had never been abused before. He never he never would be able to understand fully what I've gone through. He could mm -hmm. read in a textbook about somebody else's situation and what they diagnosed from them doing that, but he doesn't know what it's like to be go through it. So for me, I'm that person. I've been through that type of stuff. So you could come to me because I may not know exactly how you feel because your feelings are different from my feelings, but I could understand and empathize with you and even sympathize because I've been through what you've been through and I can help you get a better understanding of why it's better to be on this side of abuse. Why you shouldn't, want to take your life that life is so much better you know life is not that bad to where you need you, you should have to want to take your life you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. so that's one of the reasons why i got into um i decided to get into coaching after starting my non-for-profit and dealing with the people that i've been dealing with because so many people would come to me anyway and they would have questions or they would just want to talk and vent about the things they had been through and they didn't they didn't feel comfortable talking to someone with a MSW behind their name or a PhD behind their name or, you know, um, any type of degree behind their name. And they felt more comfortable, most of them, because I look like them. Mm -hmm. So that's why I do it. And that's good. They, you know, and, and we need that, especially like you said, and I agree, I talk about it all the time in the Black community, we have to embrace therapy we have to embrace seeking help now what advice would you give to someone who may be where you were and they're they're in that place right now what would you tell them as far as what just overall being dealing with trauma or the domestic violence part if somebody is um, currently right now in like a domestic uh, violence um, relationship right now you know they were where you were what would you tell them that they should speak up if at all possible. You know, a lot of times uh, victims are silenced because of fear. They, because they believe the threats that their, um, their abuser is giving. So they don't, they don't reach out for help. The national, um, excuse me, domestic abuse hotline is always open to take calls. And if they can't help you directly, they do have the resources in your area that can help you even if it's just to, you know, just to let somebody, a listening ear and people like me, usually if there are advocates out there and you know anything about them, we're that listening ear that will encourage you to do what's best for you. Um, I tell people all the time, be honest in your situation though, because if you give me false information or not enough information, I can't guide you properly. Um, I would never tell anybody just walk out and leave, no. 
because most times when people leave, you know, of course it's going to aggravate the abuser or perpetrator and may cause a situation to escalate. So you always need to plan to leave safely, whether that means start another bank account somewhere, if they're not holding on to your money financially, um, shameless plug, I'm somebody who believes highly in an app called Digit. Um, and they basically take money out of your account that you don't even miss and save it for you. Before you know it, you'll have money that's saved up that you can possibly use in your transition out of the relationship. Um, I'm also big, even though people really don't do change anymore because everybody does debit cards and stuff. One of my, uh, a relative of mine, her testimony is that when she realized she wasn't being beat physically, but emotionally and verbally, her uh, abuser was and she needed to leave and she um, took care of her child and didn't work. He hated change. So anytime he came home, he would drop change down. So she gathered up enough of his change over a period of time and bought her a one-way plane ticket out of out of that town. So I always tell people any type of money that you hold on to find, you know, if you can stack it up, stack it up. Um, pack, take away small items of clothing. Nothing that's going to be like, you can't just if you know you're dealing with somebody that's really, really um, way left, you can't just pack up a whole house at one time and just leave. Unless, of course, you got the means. Like, if you know that they at work from this time to this time, you got a team of people that's going to come in and help you move by all means, whatever works for you. But if you're somebody who you feel like you don't have that support, pack up a little bag at a time um, and do something and put it somewhere where he wouldn't be suspect. I use the example of, if anybody's familiar with the movie Enough, with um, Jennifer Lopez, she was very calculating. A lot of that stuff was over the top, but a lot of the stuff was very true. She packed the bag, she had ways of escape when the guy really came after her, but she had like a bag of clothes in the car. She had one girlfriend that she confided in. And sometimes, you know, the, the one person that you can confide in that you trust may be your saving grace means that you can leave those clothes with them or maybe you should be able to maybe you be able to afford a storage facility that your perpetrator may not know anything about there's little things you could do and ideas you can come up with um, that can help you when you're planning your way of escape but i would never tell anybody to just leave unless of course it's a um an emergency situation and you because uh, a lot of times unfortunately we don't involve the police and i had um me personally, I had bad vibes with the police only because when the restraining order is just basically a piece of paper. And the reason why I say that is because if I got a piece of paper that says you have to stay within a thousand feet of me, by the time you come to me, if you come within that thousand feet, by the time I call the police, you really could could possibly do something to me. And I know so many people have that have transitioned or passed away and they had the order of protection it protects the law the judicial system because it means that they put something in place to stop the person from doing something to you mm -hmm. but you just have to be very careful and even more cautious when you put stuff like that in order especially if you have a narcissistic person that really is about control and that whole if i can't have you nobody else can have you or i need to be a part of your life type thing so those things are just a few of the things that you need to consider when planning to escape. Mm -hmm. That's good advice. That's great advice.
So listen, I'm so happy that you shared your story. I'm so happy that you continue to share your story. You really turned something that was dark and horrific and you you turned it into something and you flipped it to use it to empower others. And I think that's so inspiring. That's so amazing. Well, thank you, my dear. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. I'm glad that um, you were in the room to hear me tell my story. Thank you for allowing me on your platform. And um, I hope that there's something that I said that your listeners resonated with. And um, that oh, they, I know. Um, yeah, they, I know. They got, they, yeah, they. I definitely, I definitely think they're gonna learn something from this, and also be inspired just to see somebody that came through such a horrific, traumatic storm like you have come through. I mean, that's you know, that is that would inspire anyone, in my opinion. You know. Thank you, ma'am. I You're appreciate welcome. you. You're welcome. So, you know, you got to tell the people where they can find you, where they can reach you, all your handles, you know, so they can stalk your page. Well, you can't, you can't see me, but I'm twirling my braids. Like, they can find me at, no, okay. Um, Let's see. I don't know. You stalk my page. You tell them. No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. So, <laughs> I, um, I have a website that I'm still working on, but you can contact me through the website. You can go on the website and look around, see some things. If you guys, some you think you, I want to add, I need to add to my website, please do. But um, I am, my website is Cooper. that's Y-R-E-N-A-C-O-O-P-E-R.com. Um, I'm on all social media as Y-Renee. Um, so Facebook is Y-Renee Cooper. Instagram is Y.Renee Cooper. Um, LinkedIn, um, same thing, Twitter. It's um, at Y-R-E-N-C-O-O-P-E-R-1. Is there anything else I'm missing? Oh, Clubhouse, at Y Renee Cooper. Um, I think that's it, really. Um, yes. Yeah, so if you reach out, but the best, I mean, if you really want to like reach out to me, if you can't hit me on social media, definitely go to my website. There's a contact page. And for those people who are listening today, if you go to my contact page, and you say you look through it, there is an offer for a free ebook. All you have to do is leave me your email address and it will click, it will link you to the free to download a copy of a free ebook that I have. It's called The Power of Affirmations. Um, I am also a two-time international best-selling author. I have two books that are listed on Amazon. And you can look under Why Renee Cooper on Amazon as well for those books. Um, they're called Assassination Avoided, Destiny Defined. That is the book about me surviving um, domestic violence and being shot. And then the last book that was just released is called When Did I Stop Loving You? Which is a self-help book about learning to love yourself again. Um, yes, amazing. So you guys make sure you connect with Y Renee, make sure that you get your ebook. And that's very nice of you. That's dope. Um, you guys follow her, support her. This queen is amazing. It's so inspiring. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate you. You are so welcome. All right, y'all, we are out. Before you leave, keep up with your girl on Instagram at unpacking underscore the underscore box underscore podcast. You can also email me if you like at unpackingtheboxpodcast at gmail.com. And also, if you are enjoying the show, if you were a guest on the show, you know, if you just 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 love the show, make sure you leave me a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts specifically. I don't know if you can do it on the other platforms, but I know for sure you can on Apple. So yes, do that for your girl, especially if you're enjoying it, you know, let me know. All right, y'all be well.